know, we've been in a series called Leverage, Deploying Your Resources to Change the World. And when I was thinking about this months and months ago, and the Lord was kind of leading me down this direction with this, uh, I realized it was going to be uh, kind of about our financial resources and all of that. It dawned on me uh, that, that I happen to know somebody who's actually an expert on the topic for our last uh, kind of a sermon. Uh, a friend of mine uh, named John Twitchell, who is over here uh, and works for Nazarene Foundation. We got to know each other online and then in person, and I think I've known you for over a decade. Uh, but he actually kind of knows a lot about this next step, and so we decided to bring him in because uh, he can both talk about it well and he can kind of give us um, some mechanisms uh, to talk about how we can bless the next generation because we will tell the next generation. Amen? Amen. John, come and share. Be in the house of the Lord this morning, amen? And whether you're here with us in person or joining us online, it is my pleasure really to be here with you and an opportunity to, to be part of your family. And uh, so thank you for that and for the warm welcome. One of the best parts of what I get to do is to visit churches just like this one and to see how God has arranged God's people together to see what Christians are doing in their neighborhoods uh, to make a difference to change the world, to impact the world for the kingdom of God. And so whether it's churches who provide crisis care kits or gather food and clothing, I noticed your Dropbox for the Salvation Army in the foyer. Thank you for that. Uh, churches who specialize in caring for foster children or sponsor children through Compassionate Ministries or sponsor Jesus Film teams to help us declare the gospel around the world. Uh, it's just fascinating to me to watch that God has formed each of us individually, but also God has formed each of us as individual communities with our own unique flavor, our own unique set of gifts, and he invites us to partner with him to change the world. It, it's not hard to look around and see there's problems in the world, right? I, we could talk about all sorts of them this morning. Deep, deep division. We could talk about injustice. We could talk about education. Uh, if we looked on a global scope, we could talk about difficulties accessing clean water in some parts of the world, extreme poverty. We could talk about addictions or even uh, human trafficking. Those would all be just some of the immediate problems that come to mind, uh, let alone the medical problems that we're facing right now. Uh, but those are all problems that come to mind. But I am glad, and I hope you are too, that we get to be part of something bigger than just ourselves right here, and we get to be part of a global church, a global body, that does not simply kind of wring our hands and hang our heads in despair, Instead, we're part of a church that in the name of Jesus, we, we put on our boots, we get down in the trenches, we get dirty, and we do what it takes to make a difference, whether we're digging wells for clean water, or sponsoring children, or providing recovery services, or helping to rescue people from the dark underworld of slavery. And so hear me say this this morning, when you attend and serve and give and pray each week, when you participate and partner with God's people here at Generations, you're part of something bigger than just Generations, right? That you're part of this movement of people that God has called to preach holiness and healing and hope in Jesus' name. And to preach that message in our communities, our neighborhoods, our states, our nation, and even around the world. You see, Nazarenes have always had this sort of holy optimism that we really believe this, that when we come together according to God's purposes, 
we can make a difference. God actually invites us to partner together with him to accomplish God's purposes in the world. And that we might make that difference even for people we might never meet, whose names we might never know, whose faces we would never recognize in parts of the world that we may never get to go. So before I say anything else this morning, hear me say these two words, thank you. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Thank you for the difference you're making here and around the world for the kingdom of God. And thank you for your faithful participation, prayer, and generosity. Uh, Pastor Craig mentioned I serve your foundation, and we, we just specialize in a couple things, really. But what we really, I like to focus on, we specialize in helping faithful, generous people leverage their resources into the future of the kingdom of God. And so we're really all about helping people think through uh, estate planning issues and generosity issues and tax issues and to help individuals who want to do something significant for the kingdom of God to leverage those resources in creative ways to make a real difference. You'll, you'll notice that our logo is five loaves and two fishes. And it is for us just a reminder that God can take gifts of any size and God can multiply those gifts uh, to serve a multitude of people to make a difference in countless lives around the world. Over the past couple weeks, uh, if you've been participating, watching online, I actually got to watch your church service online from Southern California for the last two Sundays, which was a lot of fun for me, and so I feel like I'm kind of at home here. Pastor Craig's been exploring this topic of leverage, how to use our resources for the kingdom of God, how to change the world around us. Indeed, all that we have, and it comes from this conviction that all that we have, all that's been entrusted to us really is God's. And that God invites us to steward those resources, to leverage those resources, to shape the world according to the kingdom. So a quick review, a couple weeks ago you heard about planned giving, which is that weekly, regular, budgeted giving that we do, our tithes, our regular offerings. If you wanted to think of a big freight train, it's the fuel in the locomotive up front that drives the freight train, right? It's what gets us to our destination. Those committed, regular gifts on a regular basis are essential for the operation and basic ministries of any church or ministry. And thank you for your planned and regular giving. And then last week, Pastor Craig talked about intervention giving, right? Uh, intervention giving is it's when we see that special need, that problem, and something goes off inside us and we say, hey, somebody ought to do something. And barely are the words out of our mouth when the Holy Spirit kind of creeps up behind us, taps us on the shoulder and whispers in our ear and says, Psst, hey, you are somebody. You're right. Somebody ought to do something about this, and you're somebody. And those moments where we get engaged in what God is doing, and we, we move where God is moving. And if we thought back to my freight train, if planned giving is the locomotive up front, these are the cars that go on the back of that freight train, right? And we give to the special needs, the special projects to help accomplish what God's leading us to do. And I think all of our generosity comes out of a couple of core convictions, right? We don't give just because there's a need, but there's a, a couple of core convictions here. One is that it's all God's. Two is, as, as Pastor Craig said the past couple of weeks, God doesn't have our heart until he has our money. But I'd like to also say our generosity is a reflection of the image of God. To put it another way, the same God who gave generously to us through the sacrificial life and death of Jesus forms and shapes us in his image. In other words, we cannot be like God unless we are also generous. 
Or for holiness people, we might say it this way, we cannot be holy unless we are like God. Therefore, we cannot be holy if we hold tightly to everything that we have. Holy people are generous people. It's part of being shaped in God's image. Well, today we're going to talk about this topic of legacy giving. And it is that sort of giving that happens when we leverage our resources really for the future of God's kingdom. These are the gifts that live beyond our own lifetime. And before I get started with legacy giving, just a couple quick housekeeping issues. I want to cover a couple details. My contact information is up on the screen, phone number, email. Uh, If you're watching online, you can see those things too. Feel free to grab your phone, snap a picture of it if you'd like. The web address at the bottom, nazarenefoundation.org slash contact, is our contactless contact card, right? Uh, So I've got a table out back. You're welcome to stop by, pick up brochures, pens, sign up for our newsletter. Uh, You can pick up anything there you like, but if you'd rather not handle stuff or congregate around a table this morning, just go to nazarenefoundation.org slash contact. Those of you uh, watching at home or in circle churches this morning, we'd invite you to do the same thing. You can request any of the material that you'd be able to get here at church this morning. And then the second thing I'd like to say is I'm around all afternoon today tomorrow morning. If God nudges you in a particular way or you'd like to learn more, I'd love to just grab a cup of coffee with you and visit about what God's asking you to do and see if we can help you begin the process of doing that. So don't hesitate to call or email at any time or there's appointment signups at the clipboard up back. So we didn't invite you to participate that. Well, and so I get to travel a lot. Well, not so much in the last six months, but usually I get to travel a lot. And so I usually get asked the question, where are you from? Ever get asked the question, where you're from? For some of us, it's a complicated question to answer. We're not even sure how to answer that question anymore because we've lived in so many different places in our lifetimes. It's It's a complicated question because where we currently live isn't necessarily where we're from. So I live down in Southern California, San Marcos, about 45 minutes north of San Diego. I am a Nazarene pastor. My current assignment is to serve the Nazarene Foundation along the West Coast. But that's not where I'm from. I'm from somewhere very different. In fact, if you were to draw a diagonal line across the country from San Diego, about 3,200 miles, you would hit the great state of, thank you, somebody watched election returns for the last two weeks, and so they've been seeing maps, and they know that Maine is in the opposite corner from Southern California. And that's where I grew up. I spent most of the last 40 years there, 14 of those pastoring a small church right on the coast of Maine. But at the end of 2015, my wife and I packed up our belongings. We downsized a lot of them first, loaded up a moving truck, and headed out on a great adventure to serve the church. By the way, if you haven't moved in a while, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, okay? That stuff doesn't diminish itself on its own. It kind of multiplies. It's like, I don't know, rabbits or something. Uh, That stuff just kind of grows a life of its own. So if you haven't gone through your stuff because you haven't moved in a while, you don't need to change addresses. It'd be a really good thing to go through and evaluate your collections. It will help you be a better steward. It'll help you evaluate your spending and your priorities. Uh, And more than that, it's going to save your children and grandchildren a great deal of work someday. I heard some amens, yes. But where I'm from isn't just about geography either because there's so much that shapes and forms who we are that I think that's part of from as well. The places and the people and the values that shape us. I I mentioned I served as a small church pastor 
on the coast of Maine. And because it was a small church, uh, I also had to do some other things to make all the finances work in that particular assignment. And so for about seven years, I was a funeral home chaplain. And as a funeral home chaplain, I would meet with families, do some grief care and counseling and put together a funeral or memorial service for them. And I served about 400 families over the course of those seven years. And in order to talk intelligently about somebody you've never met, you have to learn to ask the right questions and listen well for the answers and to be able to do that. And so, of course, I'd ask about things like hobbies and personalities and favorite food, but what I really wanted to know was what made them tick. What was important to them? What were the values they wanted to pass on to their children? What were the words they would say to their great-grandchildren if they could say them tomorrow? And so I'd begin to ask questions about legacy. And I'd learn about their hard work, or maybe it was family gatherings, or generosity, or whatever it was that was so important that there was the values to their lives. And so to answer the question, where are you from, it's not really about geography. It's really about our legacy. So a little family picture time this morning. Not because my family is special, but maybe it'll help you think about your family history. Here's a picture taken at Christmas time in 1941. The, uh, the babe in arms is my father, Roger. He's being held by his father, my grandfather, Albert. The man who looks like he's standing on porch steps down in front of them, uh, that's my great-grandfather, Leon. And the man all the way over on the left is my great-great-grandfather, Elmer. Four generations of Twitchells uh, who, just like your ancestors have shaped who you are, I'm sure they've shaped a little bit of who I am. They're part of the legacy I've inherited. You notice my great-grandfather, Leon, he looks like he's standing in front of the others on a porch step. He's actually not, and uh, the next picture will help you with that. Let me show you another picture of Leon farming on his knees. If you could zoom in really tight, you'd see he's got really thick leather pads that they're homemade that he's built for his knees and his upper shins. And Leon was afflicted with polio in 1924. Uh, in a world where there was less medical care and less safety nets as there are today, uh, he spent the rest of his life as a hard-working, frugal family farmer who never gave up, doing most of his work on his hands and knees just like you see them there. I think he's digging a fence, pole host, uh, a fence post hole there, but people also tell stories about him going in the hen house to gather eggs or out in the field planting potatoes, mostly on his knees. It's a legacy of hard work, of frugality, of never giving up that I hope has shaped who I am. Well, here's a picture of my grandfather. Uh, they called him Trader Twitchell because he liked to bargain and make trades. He was very shrewd and good with business. Uh, he continued that family farming tradition, but also opened a tractor supply store. Uh, I think he's wearing an international harvester jacket and hat in that photo. Uh, farm equipment store and supplied equipment for a lot of the farmers, family farmers in western Maine. He was shrewd. He was business savvy. But I also remember him as very generous with his time and his resources and interested in caring for others. My father, he put himself through college, working summers in that tractor store uh, to help pay the college bills. He worked in the sales and the repair department, went to school for engineering and physics, and he was a high school physics teacher by day and by night and in the summers. He was a family farmer. Here he is on the old IH 330 baling hay out in the back field, I think. Taught Sunday school for years and served as a church treasurer up until just a couple of years ago. Well, each one of these guys is part of me, just like your family is part of you. 
but I see in them hard work, a mind for numbers and business, a teacher, valuing generosity and a life of service. Uh, about the only thing I didn't inherit from them was the farming gene. You might wonder how a simple guy from a family of farmers ended up as a Nazarene pastor clear across the country. Well, there's lots of stories. I'm not going to tell them all. But if pastoral ministry was genetic in any way, and I don't think it is, but if it were, you'd go to the other side of my family and you would find Zilpha and Merton Snow. Merton was my great-grandfather, who was an Advent Christian minister in New England and in parts of Canada. But you know, our legacy doesn't just come from family either, does it? There's so much else that shapes us, the places and the people and the values and experiences. We might think of our churches. I grew up attending this Baptist church in South Paris, Maine, founded in 1885, by the way. And if you've never been to New England, that's what a New England church looks like, complete with building on additions in true New England style. It's not a big church by today's standards, but that's the church I grew up in, and it was an important church in the community. But most important wasn't its size. But for me, the important part of this church was at five years old, that's where I learned that God loved me and gave my life to Christ. That church would hold a vacation Bible school every summer and bring the kids in. And of course, we went there, so we were just there anytime the door was open. And they'd bring missionaries in to come and do the vacation Bible schools. And here are Hank and Joyce Hemond. You probably can't see it really well, but in the picture on the right, they're holding a couple of puppets. And uh, we've got a, Joyce is holding a leopard. His name was Oliver. And Hank is holding a giraffe puppet, and the giraffe's name was Stretch. Things you remember from your childhood, right? Stretch and Oliver would teach us the Bible stories each day, and they are part of my story. And part of my story is summer camps. You know, summer camps are a great way, especially in today's world of technology and noise and connectedness. Camps are a great way to get our children and our young people away from all the hubbub so they can hear God speak to them, to be out of their comfort zone and to hear the voice of God. It was a summer camp where God began his work of entire sanctification in my life. It was at a summer camp where God called me into ministry, and it was at a summer camp where God gave me opportunity for training and discipleship and leadership as a camp counselor. So you've heard about my Baptist church and Baptist missionaries and Advent Christian pastor, a couple of summer camps, and so now maybe you're wondering, okay, that's all nice. How do you end up being a Nazarene? Well, that's a little bit of a longer story. Let me just shorten it up. I was looking for a college that uh, I could do ministry training in. And you have a wonderful Nazarene institution out here in the Northwest over in Nampa, but just south of Boston in a little town called Quincy, well, it's kind of a big town called Quincy, is a little school by the name of Eastern Nazarene College. And of all the schools that I looked at as I was preparing for college, our little Nazarene college just south of Boston was able to provide nearly twice as much in financial aid and scholarship funds as any of the other schools that I looked at. You say, how is that possible? It's such a small school compared to some of the other ones I looked at. The reason it's possible is because of generous people just like you. People like you who partner together to support our educational institutions, individuals who've left legacy scholarships and endowments and funding to create the ways for our schools to help equip the next generation of the Lord. So let me say thank you. Thank you for your generosity. 
if I think about my home church or the campgrounds or the, the colleges, you know, all of these things existed because somebody answered God's call. All of those things existed because somebody gave blood, sweat, tears, prayers, and money to help make them happen. They're all part of that legacy that I've inherited. They're all part of the answer to the question, where am I from? So let me ask you a question. Where are you from? What's the legacy that you've inherited? You might think of your family like I did. But maybe your family didn't give you a godly legacy, and so you might think instead of pastors or youth pastors or Sunday school teachers or camp counselors or a friend. You might think of some of the places that you've encountered God in a holy moment, a retreat center, a campground, a college or university. But we could even go back to the things you don't know about, you don't remember because you never met them the church fathers, the apostles, the martyrs, the missionaries, scribes who copied scripture, translators who put it into our own language so we could have God's word in English. All of these people, all of these ministries, all of these structures playing a part in allowing you to even be here today. Playing a part in allowing you to hear the good news of the gospel, to know that God loved you and sent Jesus to die for you. You can probably guess what the next question I might ask is, what legacy will you leave? And I think we can certainly answer that question. I know that this church has an identity of, of young people being called into ministry and being deployed and sent forth. And so some of you may have been Sunday school teachers or camp counselors. We might think of people who are serving as pastors or missionaries today because of your support for education. We might think of children around the world who know Jesus because of child sponsorship or because a Jesus film team brought a Jesus film projection unit to their village. Your legacy will impact people for generations to come. We will tell the next generation. I want to read for you from Psalm 78. I know it's a familiar passage for you because you have it painted right on your wall over here. But I'm going to read those first seven verses. And I'd just like to invite you, if you're able and, and comfortable to do so, would you stand with me as I read God's word for us this morning from Psalm 78. The psalmist writes this, My people, hear my instruction. Listen to what I say. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, the things we have heard and known and that our fathers have passed down to us. We must not hide them from their children, but must tell a future generation the praises of the Lord, his might and the wonderful works he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel. And now I'm going to count the generations in this next section, okay? Which he commanded our fathers, there's generation one, to teach to their children, generation two, so that a future generation, children yet to be born, generation three, that they might know, they were to rise and tell their generation, number four, so they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. I hope you caught that. Four generations, the psalmist as issues almost as a mandate to us that we must tell the next generation the praises of the Lord. Not only our peers, our neighbors, our co-workers, not only our children, but that 
we have to make sure they tell their children so the ones who haven't been born yet will know so that they can rise and tell their children. This seems to be a mandate for the people of God. This is what the people of God do is we shape the world around us in ways consistent with God's kingdom. We leave behind ministries and churches as legacy to tell the next generation. The psalm was written to ancient Israelites. They had great educational systems. By the time Jesus was was walking the face of the planet, the, uh, the synagogue schools in the Galilee were such great education that the children growing up in those schools, the best and the brightest, they knew scripture word for word. They memorized it. What we call the first five books of the Bible, they had memorized word for word. In fact, they knew it so well they could play a little game. That one child would quote a sentence to another child and and in order to win the game, that other child, he had to say, he had to quote not only the verse that came next, but he had to quote the verse that had come immediately prior. I like to say that the Hebrew children of Jesus' day, they knew scripture forward and backwards. They knew it so well. But ancient Israelites did another thing. If you read through the Hebrew scriptures, it seems every time God shows up on the scene, they're building monuments of some sort. Whether somebody has a dream or a vision or God shows up and does a miracle, they build a monument so that people can know what happened. And one of those locations was near the Jordan River. You remember the Israelites, God had brought them out of Egypt across the Red Sea. They wandered in the desert for 40 years because of disobedience. But on the eve of being able to go into the promised land, God said to Joshua, he said, I'm going to do a new miracle for you. I'm going to part the Jordan River and you're, you're going to walk through on dry ground. But when you do, he said, have one person from each tribe, 12 men. As they come through, pick up 12 stones. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I like to imagine that Joshua picked the 12 biggest, burliest guys he could find. It was you guys over here, I know. And uh, the night before they did this thing, they had a little trash talk session to see who could get the biggest rock in the middle of the river. And the next day, they went through and they looked for the biggest rocks they could muckle onto and grab on and bring into the promised land and stack them one on top of each other. It wasn't about the monument. God said to Joshua, here's why. So that one day your children and your children's children will see this pile of rocks and they will ask, what happened here? And you'll have an opportunity again to tell them the praises of the Lord. We build monuments to God's work today. They look a little different. But I think our campgrounds and our colleges and our schools and our our churches are all a testament to what God did. The very building you gather and worship in and use as your ministry center and campus was built by men and women who believed that God wanted to do something special right here, that God wanted to accomplish great things in this place. The Church of the Nazarene as a denomination was founded in 1908. By the way, another one of the most divisive times in United States history. And out of the wounds of the Civil War, as people began to come together and to merge, a group of people now called Nazarenes say, if we put first things first, the things that unite us are greater than the things that divide us. And from east and west and north and south came this movement called the Church of the Nazarene with a movement, a mandate to preach scriptural holiness and to evangelize the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just as an aside, I wonder what would happen if we put aside the things that divide us today and united around those key essentials. Well, one of those, one of those founders, 
by the name of Phineas Brzee, he said this, We are debtors to every man to give him the gospel in the same measure as we have received it. And the way I understand that quote is this, that since others invested blood, sweat, tears, prayers, and finances so I could hear the gospel, it's my responsibility to invest blood, sweat, tears, prayers, and money so others can hear the gospel too. You and I, friends, we're, we're benefiters, beneficiaries of a great legacy. We've benefited from those who've gone on before, like a, a young family who goes and has a picnic lunch in the shade of a tree that they didn't plant, they didn't prune, they didn't nurture. We gather together and we're blessed by those who've gone before us. But I believe firmly that Psalm 78 is for us a mandate to leave a legacy for others. Our stories, our heritage, our values. And while it's not all about finances, I do believe our finances also play a key role in that. For us to strategically consider the ways that we create sustainable funding for the ministries we love. To propel some resources into the future to make it just a little bit easier for Generations Church to tell the next generation after we're not here anymore. Let me put it another way. The worldly way of talking about legacy is to create a name for ourselves, right? You can go around this country and you'll find names of the great barons of the industrial age and the revolution and the exploration age who stamped their names all over big buildings and railroads and other things around the country. Today there are tech revolutionaries who are also now shaping the world in a particular image and putting their names on things. And there's nothing particularly wrong for that, but we are called to a different culture. As Christians, we are countercultural to that. And our objective is not to perpetuate our family name through bequests and trusts. Our, our job is not to shape the world in the ways that I would like it to look or the ways that you would like it to look. Our calling as Christians is to this countercultural living, not to leave a legacy that makes our name great but magnifies the name of the Lord. Not to leave a legacy of wealth that perpetuates a family dynasty, but a legacy of generosity that perpetuates the kingdom of God. Not to shape the world in my image, but to leverage resources in such a way that I change and shape the world so it looks more like God who created it. And that's why you have a foundation. We exist to help you do that as individuals, families, and as a church. Through endowments and charitable gift strategies, through life income gifts, Considering your taxes and your estate planning, we can help you care for your family, care for yourself, and propel resources into the future of the church. I'll never forget the day I went out to the mailbox as a small church pastor in Maine, facing some really complicated needs and some decreased funding and things that just had to be repla replaced and repaired. I went out to the mailbox and opened it up and there was a, a letter from an attorney now, I have a rule, by the way, if I, uh, usually I open the mail on my way back to the house from the mailbox. Anyone else do that? All right, but my rule is if there's a letter from an attorney, I wait till I get inside the house and sit down before I open it, because uh, I don't want to read it on my way back up to the house from the mailbox. Well, this was a good letter. Nancy had left the church a bequest in her will, and it came at just the right time, and I won't exaggerate and tell you it was exactly the amount we needed, but... It was pretty close to the amount we needed. Nancy didn't go to our church. She went to another church across town. She left money in her will for them too. But Nancy knew that we were about telling the next generation the praises of the Lord. Her great niece went to our church. 
And Nancy wanted to leave a legacy that would help benefit her family to hear the gospel. And just as I could tell so many stories, that estate gift came at just the right time to meet a need that Nancy couldn't have possibly known about. But I believe God did. Sometimes we, we help people set up endowments that continue to fund ministry till Jesus returns, camp scholarship endowments, child sponsorship endowments. Those are a couple of our smaller, very popular ones. We've helped people set up endowments that provide their tithe to their church for years after they're gone, helping to fund ministry until the next generation. And we have creative gift strategies. If, if you said, I don't want to change my will or my estate plan, we have gift tools that help you make a gift now, receive a tax benefit, and receive income from it for the rest of your life, and then eventually make a gift to your church. All of those things are just different tools and strategies that come back to this core conviction. Each of us have been blessed with the legacy we've inherited. Each of us has a responsibility to leave a legacy for those who come behind. So I'm a... I'm going to be a little bold this morning. I know you get a little nervous because we've already talked about money. You're like, oh my goodness, what's he going to ask us to do? I have one simple request for you today. Would you pray and ask God what God would have you to do? Would that be good? That would be good. So I'm not smart enough. I don't know your situations. I don't know your finances. I don't know your estate preparedness. So... I don't know what to ask of you. I'm not smart enough to know what you ought to do. But I'm convicted of this. That if God's people will say to God, God, would you look at my estate plan? Now, maybe you don't have one. We should get you started on that. But if you said, God, would you look at my estate plan? And God, is there something you'd like me to do? Is there a blessing you'd like me to leave for Generations Church or a ministry that I believe in the future of? And then if you would be obedient to God and do that. And then we just want to come alongside you and help you with that and provide you the resources to do that. I know this, whether you have many resources or just a few, you can participate in the mission of God. You can help your church fulfill the mandate to tell the next generation the praises of the Lord, even the generation that hasn't been born yet. You've been so gracious to me. I just want to leave you with a verse this morning. The Apostle Paul wrote it to the church in Corinth, chapter 8, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians. He said this, but since you excel in everything, I think he could have written that to Generations Church. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in this love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. May God bless you as you serve him with excellence right here at home and as we partner together to change the world and to shape it in ways consistent with the kingdom of God. Amen.